I'm going to I'm going to read from First Corinthians 12. While Sam was speaking, he he referenced it and talked about it better than I will, so I'm not going to say anything. But I thought it'd be good to to read it and just put ourselves in in mind. First uh, Corinthians 12, uh, page 1153. If you want to have a look at it there. Um, I always, I suppose I've come to the conclusion over the years that this passage is mostly misunderstood, so it's quite often taught as a passage focusing on unity, um, about what we can do together. I think, I think the unity thing is there, but it talks about unity and diversity, and the emphasis is actually on the diversity. That's the emphasis of this passage. If you pay attention, you'll see that Paul is asking the believers in Corinth to accept that they're not all the same and to celebrate that. We're not great at that. We love homogeneity. God loves diversity. So let's, let's read this, um, and we'll see in there the, the, the verse. Ian can tell us more about this if we've got this right, but I understand the, the verse there, 23, the, the verse that Sam referenced. Um, that's where the, the name of the organization uh, comes from, from the Greek there in verse 23. So let's, let's read from verse 12 down to 26. Paul, talking here about the body of Christ, the church. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now this body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the parts, the members of the body, and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of God. Hope you can... Well, thank you very much indeed for uh, inviting me. I've never spoken in this church before, um, so it's a great joy. When you meet someone for the first time, you always have to be careful what you say in case they misunderstand. 
Okay. Will I go to this mic? Is that okay? Is that better? Right. Let's 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 start again. Hold on. Let me get this um, clicked on. Is that better? Lovely to see you. To is a tiny word, isn't it? And uh, it is right, Christoph is right, is found in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's, it's that little word which means to honor the indispensable parts of the body of Christ. And the Greek word for honor in that passage is the uh, New Testament Greek word, which is the word time, which if you transliterate it into English is spelled T-I-M-E. So when we discovered that word, we thought we'd try and then we thought we can't call ourselves time because other people do that kind of stuff and it's very confusing. So we did a little digging down into the New Testament Greek and found it came from classical Greek, and it came from a root word, which is the word teo. And we thought we liked that, we love that, that captures what we're trying to do, because the word itself means to lift up, to dignify, to give place to, to advance the indispensable parts of the body of Christ, the weaker parts. And we thought as a team, because I work with six others, we thought as a team that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teo these lives. We're trying to get people to be teoed in churches, that they, might, that they might have this sense of lifting up those who are the weakest and serving those as we have just sung. So this word, if we go on to the next slide, uh, this is my daughter. Now, Sam and I didn't tell you how, Sam didn't tell you how we met. We really met through uh, that transition in our lives where my little girl who has Down syndrome, so we're two dads with two little girls with Down syndrome. So that connects us enormously. We look over the coffee and we don't have to say all that much. We're just two dads with two wonderful little girls. There's only about a year between them, I think, or just over a year between them. And so my little girl's called Amy, and then there's Maggie. And so that brought us together as fathers. And so my background is actually in pastoral work. I worked in pastoral ministry for uh, a lot of years in Scotland. And then I moved into uh, education in theology. I originally studied literature and drama, moved into theology, then moved into history, then moved into Christian spirituality, then moved into disability. And so with that kind of background, I gathered around me a team, and we're a group of professionals who go around trying to train and inspire and teal the world. So these are the guys that are around me, and we're trying to, our aim is to see right throughout society and through the Christian church and bring in the tremendous spiritual, personal contribution of people with intellectual disabilities. 
And that's our passion. Sometimes we give training, sometimes we speak in conferences, sometimes we do some writing, and we do all of these things to try and sort of see our vision of that personal spiritual contribution of people with intellectual disabilities. So that's a little bit about us. Please do ask. Uh, there's some cards here that you can click on the website and see what we do a little bit more. And so that's the sort of context that I stand here as someone who was a pastor who then became an academic and then became a parent. And I have all three streams flowing through this uh, medium-sized human body. So that's me. Now, going back to my point of risk, and I'm going to risk this with you because it helps me to get into this thought because I'm going to talk to you actually about blind Bartimaeus. Now, as far as we know, is intellectual disability. We're not sure about that, of course, at all. But there's a lot in that wonderful passage in Mark chapter 10, which I wanted to introduce you into because it kind of springboards us into some of the stuff that you might be interested in exploring or asking questions about as a church, as a leadership, of what you might do within this, in this location, within this community in which you live, not only with those who come to you already, but more importantly, perhaps even those who are yet to come, those who would find this place a spiritual home, those with intellectual disability who would find Kirkpatrick Presbyterian Church an irresistible church to be in. So, if you can drift your mind back, and I don't know how you can believe this, but this takes me back to the late 1970s. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking he's not that old. But I was a teenager, you see? And it's time of the troubles. And I was walking through Shaftesbury Square. And in those days, well, I was sort of wearing one of these trendy long coats. It was actually an RAF coat from 1941 that I found out in Smithfield, and I bought it, and I looked like something weird. And I had uh, quite long hair, and it was very, very black. And that's true at the time. And I was walking through Shaftesbury Square, and it was the time of the troubles. So when people approached you, you got a bit nervous. So this guy came over to me, and I was just walking along. He said, he stopped me. He didn't say excuse me or anything. He just stopped me and said, uh, I wonder if you could help me. And I thought, help? What I, so he brought out of his pocket. So he went in his hand in his pocket. Now, in those days when people went in the hand of pocket, uh, things were edgy. And he brought out a, a little sort of wallet. He opened the wallet, and he was a policeman. And he was from Donegal Plast Police Station. And he quickly flashed this in front of me, and he said, I wonder if you could help me. And I sort of felt, well, um, I can't really say no to this. So he said, well, could we go to the station? And uh, there's something you'd help us with. So I went to the station. I walked into a room. And when I got into the room, I found people who looked remarkably like me. They were all around about the same height. They all had sort of fairly long hair, and they all sort of wore funny dark clothes. And he said that uh, he would like us all to uh, form an identity parade. So we all were put in a line. 
And uh, I stood just there like all the rest and just thought this was, this was going to be a good story to tell my mates, you know. Guess what I did today? I was in Donegal Past Police Station. I was in a dented parade. So this was great. So in the guy comes, who was obviously uh, the accused. And he was accused of grievous bodily harm. And he sort of swaggered in. I can't really do that because I'm, I'm not the swaggery type person. But he swaggered in, and they said to him, take any place you wish in the line. Now, you're probably one step ahead of me. Yes, he did. He came, and he moved in beside me. And uh, I just stood like this uh, and looked straight ahead. But I could sense he was just looking at me, and then he looked at the other guy, and then he just sort of got himself comfortable. So we were standing there, and in through the door comes the, the witness who had supposedly seen this person, and they said, take your time, go along the line, make sure that if you are to identify anyone, you're absolutely sure about them. Now, the thing was that this guy came in and didn't want to be recognized, so before he came in, they put on him a blonde woman's wig, and he wore dark glasses. So you can build a picture here. There is standing this line with this sort of accused, greedy, grievous bodily harm guy, maybe, maybe not, and this man walking up and down who looked partly like a woman. And so he walked up, and he very slowly walked past each of us, had a look at each of us, and walked to the other end. And then he walked back again, and he stopped. And then he walked on. And then he came back, and he said, it's him. And he pointed to me. And so he went, him. And the officer said, Sir, are you absolutely sure it was him? And the guy said, absolutely, I would know him anywhere. And so I stood stiff. The guy beside me, I could hear a sort of snuffled laugh. And the man went out. They took the accused away, and they dismissed everyone except me. I'll not tell you what happened, but I've been out for several years now. You see, the idea there is that for that person who went along, I wasn't the person I, I, he thought I was. And I was afraid because I, I didn't want to be identified as this person. I didn't want to be identified with this man's crimes if he committed crimes. I didn't want to be punished for 
somebody else's crime. And so identity became quite a big problem. And when you read the story of the blind man, Bartimaeus, when they came to Jericho, as Jesus, together with a large cloud, was leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, a blind man, Bartimaeus, a blind man. You know, identifying a person is really important. And in the world of disability, a blind man, to be identified by your disability is very painful. He's not a blind man. He's a man who is blind. And that's really important in the world of disability, how we talk. People first. Amy isn't a Down syndrome girl. She's a girl with Down syndrome. And that's really crucial, how we identify, how we speak, how we talk about a person and identify ourselves is really important. To be identified by your impairment, and even the word disability is difficult. Intellectual disability is difficult. Each word that we actually use for this whole realm of talking about different kinds of human beings is difficult. But blind Bartimaeus, well, he's defined by his impairment because that's the way it was. He is characterized as an outsider in society. He's on the edge, isn't he? He's sitting there begging. He's sitting by the roadside on the way out to Jericho in the direction of Jerusalem. He sat there every day begging. He was a feature on the landscape. He was present. He was there. People would pass by him, but they got so used to him they didn't see him unnoticed on the edges, periphery of society. It's really quite a powerful picture because people pass by him because they've got lives to lead. They haven't time for him. And so they, they move on in their agendas every day. One of the things that Amy's teaching me, and I'm sure Maggie's teaching Sam, is that life needs to slow down. It needs to slow down. Things have to be noticed. And so on that particular day, there's a commotion. There's some travelers on their way. There's some noise. There's an expectation in the air. Perhaps he's heard lots of rumors about this Jesus that is coming in their direction. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. He began to shout. He began to speak up. You see, Bart is just one small, imperfect, weak human being, economically useless, wouldn't fit in with the great idea of a capitalist society, vulnerable. But that one 
man receives the full attention of Jesus, the Son of God. One man. He wasn't great. He didn't have money. He wasn't powerful. He couldn't do things for you because of his friends. One guy. One person is worth it. See, what we're talking about tonight, disability, intellectual disability, churches often react by saying, well, we don't have anyone like that. You know? That's difficult because uh, there are oh, nearly 40,000 people in Northern Ireland who have intellectual and other kinds of disability. Fifteen percent of the world's population has a disability, 600 million people right throughout the world, physical and intellectual disabilities. That is a huge percentage. And so, TO is about, I, I guess, trying to hear the shout of the powerless, the shout of that one man who, in society, nobody would hear him, but Jesus heard him. And he shouts out. Now, Jesus is busy. He's always busy. He's on the move. He's, he's set for Jerusalem. He's less than 20 miles away. He's living in the shadow of the cross to come and the pain that is to come. He's come to save the world. Yet a shout from a single marginalized human being stops him. And he gives a bit of his human life to that one person. And Tio is about that marginalized sense. It's about hearing that cry. Perhaps that cry could be described as a cry of desperation, of hope, some kind of hope in this world of, of no hope that someone might notice me and someone might listen and someone might, might change things. It's also a cry of segregation, isn't it, in the sense of the person is, is set aside, he's in a different part of pushing the weak and, and unproductive, the weak and unproductive are being pushed to the periphery. You know, two dads with, with a little girl with Down syndrome. Those who receive that testing that you have during pregnancy and, 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 and people are made aware of it, 90% of people choose to abort if there's a diagnosis or a an indication of Down syndrome. That will increase over the years due to the new techniques. And you may know that in Iceland, for example, it's 99%. In other words, there's almost a total eradication of people like Amy and Maggie. The shout of the powerless. It's also perhaps a cry of provocation, if you like. It's perhaps the only way you can get noticed is to shout. No. Amy shouts at me when I don't notice her. Amy shouts at me when, I, when I'm too fast and I, I have no time to, to listen to the whole story she has to tell because the whole story she has to tell takes forever. And I haven't got forever because I've got an agenda. And sometimes it's a, it's a, a justifiable agenda. Of course it is to get through life. But sometimes that cry of the powerless, just listen to me. 
I have a story. Listen to my stories. Churches are places where people bring their stories. And one of the big problems with all kinds of churches is there's no place to tell your stories. No, there's no space. We fill it with all kinds of other things rather than actually just listening to somebody else. You know, societies are, are built for the strong, aren't they? You ought to be strong to be around in, in this kind of society in which we live. But it worries me, too, that churches are built for the strong, you know. Churches are built for the people who are, you feel you have to be strong to get through it, to get through the service, to get through the, the various business and committee meetings. You have to have a strength about you. And sometimes people pretend to be strong when they aren't strong. And in a sense, what, what little people like Amy and Maggie mean to us as fathers and other people who will come in, they're kind of little revolutionaries who change things and move things around. And I think sometimes the church just doesn't like movement, maybe. And so what we're talking about tonight, for example, in our group of associates, we, we raise questions that churches might ask. But what we try to do is, is theologically say to you, Whatever you're doing in the lives of people with intellectual disabilities, we want to make you theologically stronger to do it. And so, the shout of the powerless is very strong. So, here we have a society. We have a man who is defined by his impairment. He's classified as less than valuable in his social position. He's sitting on the edges on the outside. Of course, society has always struggled with difference, as the church has. People who are different, who react differently, who are socially quite different, who might do unpredictable things, who haven't got that social sophistication that we all think we have. People who require long times to listen to that complete sentence that they would like to say, or in some other way through assistive technology, communicate with us in a different way. And God is sending people like this, I think, into our lives to slow us down, to say to the church, look, you aren't this professional organization that you might think you are. You are the body of my Son breathing, growing, living. We've always struggled with difference. You know, the disabled in the Middle Ages, they were freaks and they joined circuses. The blacks in South Africa, the southern states of America of segregation, the Native Americans and Australian Aborigines, reservations. In other words, anyone who's different, let's put them somewhere else. Let someone else do this. But God has called His church, and He said, I want to have a full house. And because I want a full house, those who don't come, I want you just to keep on asking, keep on going, keep on going to places in Luke 14, among the disabled the fearful, and the lame. It's a very powerful story. 
when you listen to the voice of the powerless. And it's very interesting in this story that he, he then goes on. Well, he does a couple of things. Let's take them just as they come in the story. For example, many rebuked him after the man cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So some kind of background. He's got an awareness theologically. Either he's heard something and just repeats it or whatever. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I think that's, that's again, very powerful. It's not just identity, that we're carefully saying people first, people first always. And we're saying, let's listen to the shout and the voice of those who no one else is listening to. And of course, there's a movement here, because at one moment in the story, this guy is invisible. He's on the edge. We don't see him. And what the Lord does, the Lord doesn't go to him. The Lord brings him over. Now, was the guy just helped up by someone, took someone's arm because he can't see, and he came over to the Lord? Or did the guy just follow the voices? We have no idea. But anyway, he moves from invisibility right into the center of everything. And that's what the passion of Teo, a passion of my heart, is that journey from the margin to the center and the job of the church in that journey of going from invisibility to visibility of the Lord saying, come over. And suddenly, this man, who is completely on the outside of society, way over there, is right in the middle, in front of Jesus. You know, the journey for people with intellectual disability, the journey from the margins to the center is a very long journey has been in society. It's only in the last 20 years or so we've moved away from the institutionalization of little kids, grown-up people like uh, Maggie and Amy, where we put in institutions, uh, looked after, inverted commas. We now have care in the community. And by that, we have a very positive thing because people with intellectual disabilities are now being seen much, much more. The passion of our hearts is that the church might see, find a space for those who think differently, who take their time, but who bring enormous spiritual benefits to the life of a Christian church. And if you take that idea of the body and diversity, if the body has somehow not all the weak parts it should have, then if my body has no weak parts, my body will cease to be. And so, therefore, is the church without those who have disabilities, without those who have intellectual disabilities, is it the church that Jesus wants it to be? And so, we want to encourage people to think along these lines and bring 
it into the center of things. Well, after all, if you allow yourself for a few moments just to think, what happened when we sinned in the Garden of Eden? Humanity is banished from the Garden of Eden. We're set on the outside. We become a marginalized race. All of us are on the outside. What happens then? Stuck on the outside, there's no way back in. So the gospel is the story of a marginalized race being offered hope of a God who notices, who cares, and provides a way back, who brings us from the outside in. We've all moved from the margins to the center. That's what makes us Christians. And then a final two little thoughts as we move. He asks, what do you want me to do for you, said Jesus. So he brings him into the center from invisibility to visibility, but the other big thing here is he asks him a question. This man who's sitting blind, who had stood up, and obviously everybody knew he was blind because he would need help across to get to the Lord. And the Lord says, what do you want me to do? Are you kidding? I can't see. Now, some people see this as perhaps just making sure that the guy really did want to see. But I think from my perspective, it's the Lord Jesus. This guy lived in silence. Nobody heard him. He's on the edge. He's now in the center. In the center, the Lord gives him space to speak, space to voice his own heart. It's very hard, I'm sure Sam will agree, it's very hard as a parent not to speak for your child, but to let your child speak. And you take your child to the doctor, and the doctor will address you rather than your child. You go into the supermarket, and my son's alongside my daughter. He's slightly older. And, and people will say, oh, how is Amy getting on at school? And we look at her, and we look at him, and we look at them, and you just think, why don't you ask her? Give people the dignity to give their own voice, and thankfully in our generation, it's starting to happen. People with intellectual disabilities are starting to be heard. The other interesting thing about Maggie and Amy is that both of them are going to mainstream school, two different schools, and their voices are being heard. And all those kids around them are learning so much. It is really important that we allow people to be heard. And what Tio is trying to do is to create some kind of momentum in church life that says, wow, yeah, 
We've been teared. We want these people. Not these people. My people. Our people. Not something for, as if they were a problem, but something with, because we have to learn from every life. It is brilliant tonight that you're here, you're sharing a little bit of your life with me, you've given me half an hour or so of your life, which you can never get back again. I'm sorry. So you can't go out into the foyer and say, that guy was a waste of time, can I have my half hour back? It doesn't work like that. You're investing at whatever stage you're at in thinking about all of this. You're investing time, and that honors the indispensable parts of the body of Christ. By being here, by giving this, by thinking about this, by even giving me a voice, and Sam a voice, you're saying, this is important. This is what God is bringing to us as part of who we are. Because, you know, right at the end, this guy who was excluded gets up and he begins to participate. He moves from exclusion to participation, and he follows them along the road. And there are many incidents of this in Scripture, and not all of them are like blind Bartimaeus who are healed. Mephibosheth comes to the table with his disability. It's part of the king's banquet. All of those guys in Luke 14, they all come in with their disability. They weren't healed before they ate. They weren't healed before they celebrated. They celebrated together. They celebrated both able and disabled, if you like, together. So participation. It's a hugely important story to give us some bounce into the next thing. You know, that idea of identity, and I never thought of that before. I, I used to talk about blind people. I used to talk about lame people. I used to talk about uh, retarded people. I used to talk about handicapped people. But these are not to be defined by those kind of words because these are people. These are people. And they got voices. They can be heard. They're shouting, can you hear us? And the Lord brings it right into the center. We need to bring people into the center of things. We need to make a comfortable space in which they speak to. Because we want them to be with us together. And so with Jesus leading the way, they take the uphill road to the cross. And leaving his cloak behind, there they go. I hope you get a sense of the passion in my own heart, but a sense of the passion in Teal and a sense of the passion or the beginnings of a passion within, within the possibility of this church, your church, church that you love, and the church that has so much to give but has so much to receive. There will be 
change. Because that's what we're called into. But I pray that your heart is just touched by a father, by an academic, by a pastor, more deeply by God. This is the way the Lord says, strengthen those who are weak. Amen.